This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. Today's episode of the Art and Science of Developing Athletes here from the Institute of Coaching Excellence, University of Florida, it was a privilege to talk to Dr. Keith Harrison from University of Central Florida DeVos Sport Business Program. Keith's been an industry leader and innovator in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusion in athlete development spaces, founder, CEO of Scholar Baller. We get into discussion of some of that early work and thread it into what we were seeing today in the year 2022 in the space of DEI, critically important to the work athlete development specialists do, any athlete facing professional, it is becoming a core competency. And that's uh, the discussion we have today. I enjoyed it very much. I think you will as well. Thanks to Dr. Harrison for joining us. Dr. Harrison, welcome to the University of Florida. It's good to see you again. A little bit of a challenge getting up here from Orlando, but joining us from uh, uh, today, a four-hour drive from University of Central Florida yeah, here to, four. to Gainesville. Welcome to a Friday afternoon in Florida, dropping down that turnpike, I-75. But anyway, glad you're here. Appreciate you sharing some insights today. Today, we're here to talk about athlete development, of course but particularly diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. I know you are an industry leader in this space, I would say, from our perspective in the sport management disciplines that face that direction. Actually, and then um, talked to one of your colleagues about you recently, and he said, you know, this guy, Dr. Harrison, was probably the first. It's almost like you knew post-George Floyd America, this reckoning was going to happen. And you are way out in front of it. Now, obviously, that makes no sense because we had tremendous challenges prior. We still have tremendous challenges. But it seems like a lot of other people finally woke up to these challenges. And they're finally having some difficult conversations around DE&I and in sports. I mean, you were doing this for decades. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. And I want to get into some of the, the specifics of what you're seeing out in the field to help our athlete development practitioners, even coaches, other people that work with athletes. This is a very... I would say complex area of our discipline. You know, we talk about media, we talk about financial education, we talk about transition, career. DEI is something that's a competency, it's a leadership competency that frankly most of us don't have. And we need, we, fit, we rely on colleagues and professionals and experts such as yourself to help us. So this is a really important conversation and appreciate you being here. If you could, for our students, discuss a little bit and listeners here that just a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at, being a professor there at University of Central Florida. Well, thank you, Dr. Sagas, for having me. Um, just to give you a shout out, and UCF, uh, UF and UCF uh, are the only sport management programs with athlete development content in the curriculum. So in addition to our collegiality, just our friendship means a lot, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am from Southern California. I grew up in Gardena, which is nestled in between Compton and Los Angeles. I pretty much grew up in Compton on the weekends where I went to Double Rock Church, where our relatives kept me when my parents wanted to socialize since I was only child. And and so it's right where NWA and many of the rap and hip hop things took place. And then when I was 11, we moved to Cerritos, which is borders Orange County in LA. And so 
right off the bat, I knew my first day at Tetzlaff Middle, well, now they call it middle school, it was junior high school. I knew I was in a different world, mm-hmm. and we didn't have the word D-E-N-I where I'm taking this. Mm-hmm. Teachers were different. The culture was different. It was like just being on another planet. And so I always played sports. Parents pushed. You got to have at least to be average. And so to fast forward, I went to Cerritos Junior College. And I think one of the things the students should think about is the diversity of the experience that they bring to the table. Many people that want to get an athlete development want to work at the pro or college level. But the need is that youth sport, high school, and community college. Mm-hmm. People don't realize during COVID, community college, California community colleges did not have a season. Mm. And so, or at least most of them didn't. So having that two-year level experience, then transferring to Division Two West Texas A&M, you know, back in that day, I'm a Gen Xer, it was culture shock. I mean, my parents are originally from Texas, but they raised me in LA. So my undergrad is in what they call now sport and exercise science. It was phys ed, kinesiology, yeah. then uh, master's the same. And then my doctorate um, at USC in higher ed, I coached five years while I was earning those grad degrees. And it exposed me to my generation, X, black student athletes, white student athletes. I started my first year running the radio station when we drive to San Diego, talk about DNI. Hmm. So Hip hop wasn't as mainstream, so you'd literally have it segregated. You know, the white guys want to hear what they want to hear, black guys. There was some crossover. So I'm just trying to give everyone this context. Diversity, equity, inclusion is not something that I do, it's who I am. Hmm. And so I've always tried to bridge that that theory and practice. So you brought up brought up something real special to me, Dr. Sagas. I'm not Nostradamus. I didn't know the racial reckoning was coming. But I knew it was coming, those that know me close. So I stopped teaching diversity in 2018, my second to last time teaching. I always, always in the class with a clip from Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, may he rest in peace, one of my favorite actors. The last scene of Dead Poet Society, spoiler alert, students, all the students, or most of them, stand on the desk. He's uh, had to been forced to resign, watch the movies, great movie, and they stand on their desks. And my last statement, Always in that class is stand for something, stand for DNI, and let's have this conversation. So I only taught it one more time. I needed a break. And then everything happened with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. My phone exploded. Mm-hmm. And then I'm much better in person. I'm mm-hmm. self aware, but then I had to do all these virtual trainings at DNI uh, with brands, companies, schools, universities, pro, yeah. a lot of blessed opportunities, but. I wanted to take a break, <laughs> and then after two years, I'm just right back in it. it. So we could, yeah, wherever we want to take the conversation, D and I is, I said I wasn't going to do that much mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. and that has not happened. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. No, and no, obviously, we're better off for it. I think what we learned in that era that what they, if you did the readings and you'd listen to the experts, you know, relying on BIPOC leaders mm-hmm. to lead us through this. It's something we probably didn't consider a lot prior to that as, as being important. So appreciate you even being here today as as in being a leader in this space. And Love coming to Gainesville, Doc. I know, I know, except to drive. But we'll, uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, before you get uh, into the work you've been yeah, doing, yeah, the last, I mean, you, you focused a lot there on the last two years, coming up on two years, year and a half. So just the since COVID, really, you know, and we saw a lot happen in the bubble and mm, just all mm. kinds of interesting. And then like you're saying, just a huge need for this competency that just didn't exist. And I actually think people weren't just checking boxes anymore. This was not a token 
effort at diversity and inclusion. It was like a like you said, you had to. We needed it. We craved it. We and for when we did stuff here with our faculty and students as well, it just felt a lot different. It still does. And I think hopefully so. And a lot of athletes uh, work with individuals that take these trusted advisors called athlete development specialists or others, coaches, confidants, supporters. So I want to get into what you're working in their space. Prior to that, you you didn't mention your scholar baller work. Again, you were a pioneer in this way before before it was like you're saying, it was like the, the reckoning was upon us. Can you describe what that is? It's not necessarily DEI facing, but it very much is. You know, 55% of our football and basketball players are African American. Sure. In Division One, when you're talking about identity stereotype threats and identity, mm-hmm. it's clearly a DEI issue, but it's obviously was inclusive. And it's clear, you know, so I, I'm curious. I don't think many of our students would know oh, happy about it. So, curious if you can spend two, three minutes describing that, it'd be Sure. Great. Yeah, well, going back in 1990, I was a first-year master's student at Cal State Dominguez Hills and a young assistant coach helping my former old offensive line coach, Coach Merkel. And I met Gene Boyd and Cliff Parks. Gene Boyd was defensive back. Cliff was a receiver. They both went to the same high school, Paramount, which is adjacent to Compton. Mm -hmm. And you fast forward, now Cliff's a special advisor to the superintendent, um, at Long Beach Unified, Gene is the number two deputy AD, but he climbed the ladder through academic support. And so I was writing theoretically about it during my doctor, doctoral studies at USC. My first paper on Scholar Baller was actually 1994. I had a counseling class, and I talked about how Willie McGinnis' dad said, you will not leave USC until you have your degree. Mm-hmm. And Willie McGinnis, I mean, he's going to be all a famer, went and played, I think, won three Super Bowls. But then Curtis Conway was leaving early. And so I played between the baller, the scholar, scholar, baller, and then, you know, eventually coined the term Mm -hmm. and um, the academic reform movement with Dr. Miles Brand picked up. Sure. They gave us money to support our concept. Our nonprofit scholar, baller, we just want to connect with the language and identity of student athletes, all of them. Yeah, when we started out, we wanted to focus on African-American males, but I have so many stories of the women, the Arizona State softball team in 07 and 2010 had features on scholar ballers with them wearing the patches. And so we want to brand education through contemporary language that student athletes identify with. And I knew something, you know, some of this from being a participant observer. When we got our scholarships after Shrills College, my peer group, no one talked about being a student athlete. We were like, we're ballers, we ball out. And then it's funny, my whole peer group had two parents, but we said, we got to get that paper for moms, meaning mm-hmm. your degree paper. Mm-hmm. And so the language was much different than what people perceive. Everyone should take a look at Dr. Harry Edwards' biography his memoir, The Struggle That It Must Be, because in there he puts the letter that he wrote the NCA in 1984, and they write him back, and I'm not demonizing them. I mean, I'm critical of things that I think they're off base on, but in the letter they say, we do not keep track of academics. We don't keep track of GPAs. And it's unbelievable. I mean, 1984 wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. And so there's always been a need to address student-athlete issues. So Scholar Baller, we've worked with hundreds of schools over the years. We still give a national award. I think where we've pivoted is scalability. Nowadays, I don't try to go through athletic departments all the time. I just, I'm just able to recognize them yeah. through whatever means. You know, my good friend Deidre Taylor at Cal State Fullerton, um, we do something every year and so on. So we just try to affirm those that perform well in the classroom 
Is it related to DNI? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it falls under that umbrella, but I didn't look at it as DNI when it started sure. out. I was just trying to get student athletes to, and I want to make this emphasis, take their baller identity and that energy to the classroom, to study hall. Right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Thanks for clarifying and expanding on that. All right, let's talk about the work you've been doing the last couple of years. You seem a little stressed out about it, Keith, uh, Dr. Harrison there. It's, uh, <laughs> like you said, you're, you've gotten out of this. You guys, UCF's an industry leader in higher education in this space. I mean, it's got to be the best. I don't think there's any comparison as far as the number of courses, mm-hmm. the emphasis on ethics, integrity with Dr. Chlapchik's report and everything. So, mm-hmm. And obviously you're a, you're on the, the front line there. So no, no, you know, I understand that just because you're not teaching it, it's still going on at UCF. Yes, I am. It is. And when we get, we're fortunate enough to get a student from UCF come to UF, they are come very competent in this space and uh, and ha- add a lot of value to our classes. But let's go out in the practitioner world. Sure. And let's get out of the classroom. You're out there. You said your phone starts ringing off the hook. People are contacting you. I mean, what are the, I'd like to maybe talk about pro sports and then maybe go college and then where you ended with youth. What were in the last year, some examples of DNI activations or education or and what you know what's work what hasn't what do you see the, the pressure points in the future great, I mean, just great every, stuff. everything right? yeah and what I would say more I'm gonna cite my good friend Jamel Hill who was an adjunct as well for three years uh, when she lived in Orlando and worked at ESPN she said something that always stuck with me and and I've, we've all heard it from others but the stress you see is what do you do when things are successful how do you manage it and so. When the phones start blowing up, I mean, I've got a great day job. I'm full professor at UCF. I don't teach as much. I only teach three classes a year. I wasn't looking to. And and I think this is a frustration of mine with, I would say, less seasoned professionals and practitioners in DNI. I'm okay. just going to challenge a little bit that Good. when this thing happened, Mr. Floyd, folks just start hiring folks in DNI. I think it's great that they put line items in there, but my good colleague, Dr. Jeff O'Brien, I just want to back up. I pulled him in to take over my diversity classes. He's already a practitioner. My phone rings off the hook. I pull him in. So I put him in the classroom and then we end up doing Mm. the consulting. I pretty much do most of it, not all of it with him. And so what people were looking for, I'll start with the Detroit Pistons. In 2019, I spoke to about 200 other staff at the African-American Museum. Their senior vice president, Alicia Jeffries, was my student, undergrad and grad at Michigan, wrote a thesis with me, and they didn't even have a DNI shop yet. Wow. So she said, will you do something? I came out. It was actually my father's birthday, February 26, 2019. And then they hired uh, Nicolette Lewis, and then they called us after the Floyd incident. And for 12 months straight, Dr. O'Brien and I just built out different content mm-hmm. on intersectionality, racism, language. We actually talked about the University of Florida's very proactive stance with the Gator chant. I mean, you name it, mm-hmm. we went in. It was a lot of fun. It was hard for me to adjust virtually, but now I've gotten much better at making the engagement, going to the chat, the polls, uh, to give Doc Sagas another shout out. Him and his former PhD student, Annalise Mattel. That's how I got into online and even that virtual format. Because it was, I like to look at people face to face. So with that said, I mean, it's it's been pro sports. It's been, we work with a brand called Paragon that runs Gatorade's account and many, many other accounts from Chipotle. And I would tell to the students out there, if you want to get in this line of work, 
don't get in it to monetize DNI because my best memories are being a young visiting professor at Washington State and teaching diversity to pre-service teachers. Hmm. And just those moments, those classes, they were mixed with student athletes, students. Do it because you want to make a difference. I started in the classroom, then got the call, but I didn't solicit the call. Alicia called me up because she remembers the great conversations we had when she was in class and Larry Foote, who went on to be a star player in NFL and now assistant coach with the Bucks, got one Super Bowl with Bruce Arians and three African-American coordinators. So I guess what I want everyone to understand is I didn't purposely try to connect these dots. I followed my passion and stayed with it. It was not easy. <laughs> you know, some of the things, it's just interesting, even the word baller, you know, people were really resistant, as my good friend and colleague, Dr. Sagas, knows. Mm-hmm. But now those things are wide open. I mean, right. we've had shows, ballers. The world has changed. Right. I can remember being in Michigan, and I looked outside my door, and there were five white students, a few of them Jewish, Americans, white, ethnic, and they said, um, Thank you, Doc, for leveling the playing field. They said, we never felt guilty the whole semester. They said, you were intense and passionate. So that skill set's important, Mm. Um, especially I'll just give everyone an example. One thing Dr. O'Brien and I do, we will ask, we'll poll, is institutionalized racism still a thing in America? And it's anonymous, so not everyone thinks that that it is. And that gets into CRT and some other touchy things. But the point of it is, We have to have the conversation. If we don't have a conversation, we have no chance. So I've enjoyed the work. Um, As I said, we just address sexual orientation, generational diversity. Oh, I know what I was going to say before we go to the next thing. I've been able to give two D&I consulting sessions on the history of hip hop Hmm. and business. And that is something I would have never dreamed of as a young kid in L.A. that Now I get to do that. And schools now are finally seeing that hip hop and sport is a thing. So Wednesday night, I only have two live Zooms. And one of my students, she raised her hand and she said, God, I just can't stop thinking about hip hop and sport. The synergy, she said, but when this class started, I didn't think it was a thing. And so it's just getting people, whatever your context, to see the world differently and to engage people in a different worldview. Okay, gotcha. And when you're working with these professional sports practitioners, experts, ideas, you know, athlete development specialists, we can even narrow it down, people facing that are in the inner circle of the athlete. Not all of them, like I said, not all of us don't have the competencies. We don't have the lived experiences, don't have the, the backgrounds, the intense study, the perspectives they need. What advice are you giving them besides, you know, bringing in obviously experts, but I mean, where, what can you do to improve your own competencies around? DE&I outside of what the organization's doing? Because everything you speak to there is like top down. Is there any inner work? You can go back to school, go to UCF, get a master's. Yeah. But besides that, (laughs) where else can, what kind of inner work is necessary for an athlete development specialist to be, to have this competency in their toolbox at all times? That's a great question. Well, one, I would tell folks to read the census data shows that the average college graduate in America, this is uh, facts, as hip hop says, super facts upon facts, <laughs> reads no more than one book a year. Uh-huh. And so if we don't even slow down and go beyond information of Twitter and Snapchat or Instagram, like, 
how are we going to critically think? And so many people do not critically think. That's not good or bad, but it has consequences right. that we live in the society. People worry about raising their kids, right? People heard about health care. But if we don't even have an objective assessment of what's going on. So if you want to get an athlete development, I'm going to quote Coach McCartney when he was at Colorado, the great 30 for 30 documentary on basically Eric Bieniemy is assistant for the Chiefs. He gets, he's guest lectured to my class. He's scheduled to guest lecture next week. He's really the person responsible for many predominantly white institution, power five teams, stacking their teams with high-profile California black male student-athletes, African-American male student-athletes. But Coach McCartney hired a tenured full professor in um, African-American studies to mentor the black male football players. Mm -hmm. It was innovative, but he said something that always stuck with me. He says, if you want to do athlete development and get into understanding DNI with these players in revenue sports, you need to tap in. So how do you tap in? You got to stay close to the athletes. I just had Brian Hunter stay with me two days. He's That was the fifth semester he's come and spoke to the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're making an art image right now, the Cincinnati Reds 1994-95 team. We're double-checking it, but we think it's the most African-American players in the history of Major League Baseball. He was on that team, and wow. he's got stories. Set The 1971 Pirates at times had all black and Latinx starters, so... I think they might have had more of color, but in terms of black baseball sure. players, the red. So I stay close to it. I was a college athlete. Yeah. You know, I, I spoke two weeks ago, thanks to Doc Sagas, um, one of his former grad students, is the head coach of OKC. I got to speak to that the youngest team in the NBA about DE&I and hip-hop. That was priceless. Yeah. And those are the experiences I would tell people in DNI. Just be ready like a hockey puck. Where this thing may go, you can't predict with DNI, uh, just one quick story going back to DNI and Scholar Baller. So, Southeast Missouri State was last in the conference in graduation rates. And then, after we engaged them three to four years, Coach Tony Samuel, they were top. And that was across race, too, graduation rates. But we walked in the cafeteria, we'd done all these trainings, and the football player Scholar saw us, and we had this clap. When I say Scholar, you say Baller, Scholar, Baller, Scholar. Baller. Well, we hadn't even had the intervention yet with the women mm-hmm. and they overheard us and they go, we want to do it too. And this is, these are all white females for the most part. So my colleague Cliff Parks and I mm-hmm. go over there and then they do the clap. They're louder than the football mm-hmm. team. And so just being inclusive, which Arizona State, going back to that, I'm just showing people the women, and I do a lot of research on female demographics and sport, the fans the more inclusive you are, the broader your understanding is going to be. I just I just would like to challenge the students. Think about the high school, community college, globally. There are other contexts that need good people. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I'm I'm pushing you here. Let's pivot to college. I, yep. I'm with you. Okay. College youth. That's a good segue. You know, I understand there are DEI professionals, and you could do that. You could be a spe- that could be your specialty. I tell all our athlete development students: you want to work in athlete development, get a specialty. It could be media. It could be transition. Great point. Yeah, it could be D and I, of course, but have something that you are expert in and maybe better than anyone else in your space, or at least coming out of, at that point in your career. But you know, everyone needs this competency, right? Regardless if you're in it or not. A lot of former players go into player engagement and player development. 
you know, they have the lived experience. They just don't have, they may not have the education. And, and just to be honest, like we've been teaching athlete development five, six years. This is the first time that we've had a candid conversation around DE and I, and we've had, mm. we've had social justice. We've had athlete and advocacy and we've used some Eton Thomas stuff and we've had some really good. Yeah. We've had some good, but not a, a really honest conversation about what's going on. It's more didactic. So okay. the conversation seems to be the good, the first point. Ideally they need to read. I get it. And be inclusive, be engaged, show up to these things, make yourself vulnerable, uncomfortable. Yes. And begin to have those experiences, whether you can contribute or not is to be determined, but at least have that. Okay. So all good advice. I'm just trying to summarize there what you said. No, no, no. College sports. What are you seeing on the current and in the future in the space? DE and I in college, we kind of just summarize pro. They focus a lot on their staff. The athletes have their own players. Yeah. the advocacy groups and the, you know, they have other, they have collectives and third parties that can really help them make things, uh, have a voice, but college doesn't have that necessarily, right? They don't have these. So what do you recommend? What are you seeing on the college campuses? What do you tell individual athletes? Well, I have a lot to say as a former NCAA division two college athlete, mm-hmm. someone who consults with a lot of those institutions. So let's start with equity. So we're still, you know, there's lawsuits. I know it was women's pro soccer, but it relates. We've seen the pictures of women's locker rooms and resources. So we have those issues. We got NIL floating around. Is NIL and players, the high profile, few players that are able to cut those deals, are they, is that going to help their educational and career transition success? I have serious concerns about that. The hypersexuality and commodification, you know, we have gymnasts being broken off from mad cheddar or lots of money. Is that about their brain and their educational goals or their bodies? So we have those issues which intersect with race. Are we still, as Dr. Harry Edwards would say, are we still tracking and mining the black communities for physical talent and not mental acumen? You know, those issues are floating there. We have social class adjusting to historically white institutions. But here's one thing I don't think people, I just had a paper submitted to the journal I run out of Oklahoma, Journal of Higher Education, Athletics, Innovation. We got to talk about the portal. I do a lot on generational diversity. I've done a lot of DNI consulting on this. First, portal's great. Student athlete wants to transfer, great. Mm. I, I love the agency part, but I'm also critical of the other side of that. If a coach yells at someone or a player doesn't like something pedagogically, they just get in the portal and very few people get picked up out of the portal. So what are we messaging about respecting authority, being resilient when life is going to present adversity to all of us? You know, I think we need to think about those issues, sexual orientation, transgender, you know, that issue. I don't think anyone's really got that got their brain and their arms around it. But here's from a skill set standpoint, because we talk about this in our DeVos grad program. I often correct students when they go, you know, someone I'll hear them say, well, I don't know if I want to go college or pro. It doesn't matter. It's the skill set, not the level. If you think about it, the business of college sport, even the mid-majors, I mean, it in some of these cities, land-grant institutions, they are the pro team. Or you go back to USC years ago before we had, now we have two pro teams, mm. my hometown, the Chargers and the Rams. USC was the pro sports team. Sure. So it doesn't matter what you do to start your career. To go back to the question Doc Sagas asked me, what skills are you building? What specialty area? Or is Gene Boyd, how his career catapulted 
where are the gaps that need to be fixed? Right. You know, for me in my career, it was identity and connecting with student athletes in a certain way. So the college space, we've had tremendous turnover, <laughs> tremendous. My good friend, Kim Duran, that runs the University of Washington. She's, she's left recently, yeah. I think she's still there. She's still there. But, no, but I'm saying the turnover, the turnover is. No, I mean, the, uh, we did some research on this last summer during, during Delta variant. That's mm. how we time things now. Which variant are we living through? So we did a Delta variant wow. and a burnout in the academic service mm -hmm. profession right mm -hmm. now. Uh, we had 500 or so responses. That's high, good sample. Really good. Yeah. We sent about 3,000. Anyway, high burnout, job satisfaction issues, career satisfaction issues. High occupational turnover. We're losing, losing really good people. Some of them said, well, it's about the portal. It's around NIL. We weren't here. We're educators. We're not here to, to you know, I don't think it was that at all. I mean, it's just complete burnout from being on the front lines, being yeah. exposed. Yes. And, yes. and not being able to communicate with your athletes. One thing that fed you was this face-to-face, -face, you know, it's a face-to-face -face yes. business, right? Yes. And it's, uh, we were here stuck in this virtual world and a lot of athletes, you could sense, you could see them, they lost their way. They, they you know, it changed their life completely. And that affects us as, you know, those of us in the caring profession, educators and athlete development professionals, we need that. That's how we- It's the K through 12 issue too. It's, yeah, I mean, it's even it worse. worse there. Yeah. yeah, even worse there because the parents- Yeah, are, you know, a little different. Yeah, well, but you know, the portal's the same way. You actually brought it up, kind of a full circle response there. It gets a little tough on bail. You know, yeah. imagine if that happened after your first semester. Like I had a rough first semester in my University of Utah freshman year. The portal was around the day I probably would have bailed. And I said, this guy's nuts. I'm out of here. I'm glad I didn't. I mean, that stuck yeah, it up. I had three head coaches. I learned a lot. I made great friends. I, you know, changed my life to be able to stay there. And it's not absolutely. about anyway. So that was a great point. And um, it, I think it intersects with diversity, equity, gender issues. There's a lot going on in our, in our profession. We're losing good professionals. We are. In this space. So, all right. Last uh, round of questions um, around youth, elite youth, elite amateur. Even in that intersection with college, I mean, you, mm -hmm. know, you just mentioned several of the, the hot button issues or challenges in this space. Has anything changed in this in the youth space around? One thing you haven't mentioned yet is advocacy. Is that, is that changed at all? That's my follow up question. But the first question: what's 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 going on in the youth? Space? Everything's changed. There's yes. no amateur model. I have a, a cousin that you know I'm his god godfather, his god uncle. He's my god nephew. He Ninth grade, straight A student, A plus student, prep zone just wrote something on him. And where I'm going with this, they can't hide. I mean, the attention is out of control. Mm -hmm. uh, he has three more years. I mean, he's already made all area, whole league, first team, the only ninth grader that made all area in Southern Cal. He's at a high profile school before a state championship, talking about intersection with hip hop, Robert Woods, receiver for the Rams, went to Sarah High School. They get off the bus to, before they win state. And my, my cousin Trey Harrison and, and all the players get beats by Dre headsets. So when do we have amateurism? I mean, let's go to seven on seven. We were critical of basketball, AAU. Now you got all that going on with, mm -hmm. with youth football. So my question, I mean, my, my response, Doc Sagas, is it never ends. Let's just, let's even just look pro or college. So you, you have the season and then the bowl games or playoffs or state for high school. Then you have club. You have club, right. off season. Right. Then you have recruiting. Yeah. 
And so I used to teach Gene Boyd through his career. I mean, it never ends. And after recruiting then, you know, in pro, it's OTAs. It just, it's a 24-7, 365, or as hip-hop says, 25-7, 366 cycle. <laughs> it never ends. And I, I worry about the mental health. One thing yeah, we yeah, haven't yeah. talked about, right. which is Greg Harden is one of the longtime counselors, University of Michigan, works for Ward Manuel, the AD, both good friends of mine. Mental health. Greg Harden said this in the 90s is the number one issue. Mental health. Now, I have two students in my current Thursday night class that want to do sports psychology and mental health. And so if you go back and you students, if you Google Rob, Dr. Robert Sellers work in the 90s, he was talking about mental health and student athletes. Yeah. And and I didn't I didn't get it then as passionate as I am and invested in student athlete, pro athlete identity, uh, the mental health piece is huge anxiety issues uh, across all races, genders. I just worry that with our youth, are we making them better athletes or, or better people? Mm-hmm. And that's how I'll kind of leave that. Okay. I think right now we're doing a great job making them better ballers. Yep, right. So there's some uh, huge gaps, huge opportunities there, like saying, chase yes. the opportunities. Tons for you all yeah. out there. No, I, I think uh, – Mental health in, in our era, we're from the same generation. Yes. Doc, I grew up out in Las Vegas, West Coast guy as well. But yes. we uh, it was stigmatized, you know, mental health. You just sucked it up, man. There was no such yes. thing. I didn't know what mental health was. I was like, if I'm not institutionalized, I'm mentally well, right? I mean, I'm not ill. I mean, that's, it, it, that was the my assumption that that's what mental health was. In the interject, Doc Sagas, this is our era too, is are you hurt or are you injured? Yeah. <laughs> Say the same thing about my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like yeah. feelings both. hurt or it's like you really need some help. So now, you know, and I have two young children. It's not it's it's cool. They talk to their friends about going to Good. counseling and whatnot. And athletes still it's less stigmatized, but boy, when you you know, coaches find out there's playing time issues, a lot of times they're there to talk about the coach. You know, the coaches are actually causing a lot of mental health problems from when I'm when I talk to athletes. So it's yes. it's a it's a bizarre complex landscape around this it has got it i agree it's probably the number one challenge i think there are dni dni issues associated with that identity you're talking about scholar baller identity crisis is a mental health problem transition is a mental health problem i think we just acknowledge it as that clearly race discrimination is a a mental health problem as much as it is a a social justice issue absolutely so there's layers upon layers of intersections of lots of you know classism and you know predominantly white schools and hbus now are making you know you haven't mentioned that but they're you know with coach uh we can't call him Deion sanders coach Coach prime Prime. coach prime is you know and are they gonna is that i don't think it's gonna it's going to make we'll see anyway so it's great we're having these conversations i think that's the number one thing I'm hearing from you. I think a lot of times you're saying mental health was stigmatized. D, you know, I was stigmatized. You'd rather Absolutely. not talk about it all those years. And I'm assuming you're seeing that. You had 300 execs or 200 there. People are showing up to the table. They want to talk. They want to be vulnerable. They want to understand for the right reasons, I assume. Do you see any, this is the last question, do you see any steam? And you could follow up on any of that. Mm-hmm. I kind of filibustered you there, Doc. Sorry. No, I'm but, just thinking about it. It's good. <laughs> the, uh, Early on, I, when I saw that after George Floyd, we saw this unbelievable. I mean, I, I lived through the Rodney King right? I was old enough. I was uh-huh. a teenager. Yeah, I was in Dodge. And I saw like a lot of stuff get burned down in Vegas and stuff, like where I grew up. And, you know, I just couldn't process that as a 17 year old kid, whatever. I was 
But now this was this was different. You probably were stuck at home watching it. Was that a flash in the pan, for lack of a better word, or do you think this sticks? This is like here as a cultural shift where the needle has moved and the median is now in a better place around DE and I. Because I don't think it happened after Rodney I, King. I think I, you know, yeah. two years later we we're back where we were. Yeah, I think that it will stick more in some instances, but what happens is, and I've noticed it even with the consulting, I won't name some of those organizations, as things started to come out of the pandemic, yep. we did less work, right, right. or some had stayed the same, but it, it just, it, there's, there's a capitalistic reality. People have to get back to their events. I think what is different is when it shut down, it was a longer period where we had to deal with the four, you know, the 1619 project perspective, the legacy of America. Mm-hmm. People were forced to deal with it. And it was interesting. The weekend um, Mr. Floyd was assassinated and murdered, I received over 20 phone calls. And 99% of those were from white, my white American friends. Mm-hmm. I think I asked you about this. Yes, and, uh, we can yeah. cut this out, James. <laughs> yeah. Our producer, worst gift, this goes awry. But uh, yeah. I, hopefully, yeah. I, I did not check on you at that time. <laughs> I consider you one of my one of my very yeah. good friends, uh, mutual, and did not know if that was appropriate. Actually, to be honest, like you know, what am, what am was, I so damn special that I need to check on my black friend? I I trust if you needed my help, absolutely, you knew how to get a hold of me, and I'm there for you. But did you? How did you respond to that? You, you got all these responses. <laughs> To uh, I don't and we're in the room here with a, one of our doc students off off camera. Yeah, this is African the, this is the stuff. as well. I'm curious if you could share what what did you so where, where were you going with that? I interrupted you, but no, no, you. I'm glad you interjected. That's part of our competencies or lack of thereof. I'm going to answer it this way. Whenever we I consult Doc O'Brien and I, my colleague, we really for we really try to force people to watch the sh- the movie The Hate You Give. Hmm. Our students love it in the curriculum because it forces you to put yourself in someone else's shoes mm-hmm. and through someone's eyes. One of the most surreal experiences I've ever had in my life, I, was, yeah, I wasn't teaching diversity, but we went to the movie theater. Jamelia was with us. Cliff Parks was with us. And so a spoiler alert for the hate you give. And Taco Fall was in the class. And so 55 students in this diversity class. We probably took them probably mid-semester but at the end of the movie, the little black youth who's four or five almost gets shot by the police. Now, throughout there, you see go a young adult, black men, elderly black men deal with the police brutality realities. But when that on, when they almost when they pulled the guns and almost shot them, every one of our undergrad students went like ooh, like loud, and it was surreal because they're like it hit them like. Is it this real? Mm. Is this reality? So you go back to the phone calls from many of my close white friends, some of them you know, mm-hmm. I'll name them on, on this recording. Mm-hmm. But um, the part that hurt my feelings is that it's like now, okay, now we believe you. Even from my close mm-hmm. friends, sometimes some white Americans think that we're being hypersensitive. You know, Tupac got beat up by the cops because he pulled over and they were beating up a black guy Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever happened, even if the person should have been carted out to jail. So it was a good conversation. I'm glad they called me, but they just don't see the world with our skin hue politics and all of that. They don't see it through our eyes. Mm -hmm. And one person who said it to me, 
said, and this is how Ian Hill say, I didn't realize there were so many racist white people. And I challenged this person. I said, well, why would you? Right. Right. So that's why I'm excited about the Sport History Conference and the BIPOC Symposium. And I sent yeah. Doc say, because I yeah. hope you'll send it to the students inside yeah. out. Because to end this, read the article, students, and look at what I say about Inside Out. It's a great movie by Disney. I met the two consultants at the Social Psych Conference years back. But I'm talking about when someone does have empathy and understands people of color, mm. particularly the history of black Americans. And all my white friends tried to do it in the phone call. But when you see somebody die with a police officer's knee on their neck for nine minutes, yeah. that that ripped many of their souls. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll kind of leave that there. Yeah. Right. Hope I hope I. I mean, this is this is the stuff we need to be talking That's about. That's right, right. And I I wasn't suggesting I was right <laughs> and they were wrong. I just exactly. these are, again these are competencies that like I said most of us don't have. So, but we are more competent now based on this conversation. We should continue this conversation. We should evolve. Let's do it again in a uh -huh. year, year and a half, and share kind of where this is evolving. But thanks for the honesty and being a little vulnerable yourself and and giving us a real. A download and not, not a download, but like a really intimate mm -hmm. opportunity to experience what it what it is to be on the front line of this space. Happy and to do. There's it. some positives there. A little like I asked you about the stickiness of this, lack of a better word. A little frustrating that we're not seeing that. I hope in the athlete development world, at least, that this is a new normal. It's a it's a core competency from here on out. And if it, just like anything else, it's core competency. You got to invest in it. You got to read about it. You got to study it. You got to be got to do the work, as they say, the inner work, not just show up for these things. And in, in the leave with a suggestion, Dr. Sagas, and this is not for me to do this work, but maybe one of the, something, a module or something is called inner work. Yeah. And you bring in other experts or it's a, yeah. it's a virtual simple. I'm just the inner, yeah. the inner work is key because I want to, I want everyone out there to know I've had to do the inner work for my message to be heard on predominantly white campuses. Right. Because I got to hit, I got to hit everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. That's important to me. Some of my colleagues of color, quite frankly, they could care, some of them could care less. Right. But it's important for me because mm -hmm. white Americans and other groups, Asians, uh, they're going to go out there and interact and hire and be in leadership roles. Sure. So how do you, you know, it, one, of the, one of the greatest figures he didn't live long was um, on to make something ethnocentric but universal is Nipsey Hussle. I often wear his, um, you know, his mask during the pandemic, and I have conversations with. It would shock people. People from all walks walks of life. In fact, one of them, um, she she was from Ocala, was a white American female, mid thirties, about Nipsey's age. She's like, "Yeah, he's my age. I love him." And I mean, people. There was something that he did to address D and I. This is what I'm giving the students mm -hmm. a nugget. But his message was still universal, mm. and that's that. We, we need more practical strategies like nice. that. Great insight. Yeah, nobody saw him as a thirty-three-year-old black man with tattoos all over his face and cornrows. They saw somebody giving back to the community. He did client-based projects for La Loyola Marymount. I was at his sh uh, shop, the Marathon, two weeks before he was murdered. I gave one of my students, Shay Lewis, um, a shirt that she still hasn't opened to this day. It's her favorite rapper. She's from mm -hmm. Philadelphia. She's biracial. Mother's black. Dad's white. Is a twin. 
She's out of LA right now. And we are next week, or let me see, April 20th. I got to go to conference AAR in San Diego. I'm going cutting through LA. She's going to meet me at the Tupac exhibit, which wow. if folks have not heard, it's supposed to be outstanding mm-hmm. on DE&I and many other issues. Right. So build relationships with people that are passionate about DE&I that don't always agree with you on all sides. That's right. Good insight there. Lots of insights there. So appreciate it, Dr. Harris. I think we went a little longer than uh, in my budget allowed in this studio, but uh, appreciate James, <laughs> our producer, letting us go a little long on Thank that because there was a lot there. We could talk for hours about this. So, uh, But appreciate you being here. Thanks, Thanks Dr. Doc Sagas. Yeah, appreciate it.